Romans 8, 2 through 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you all. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors. Glad you could be with us this morning. Uh, we've been traveling through the book of Romans for some time now, and we're going to continue to do such. So if you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Romans chapter 8, looking at verses 2 through 8. If you do not have a Bible, uh, go ahead and slip up your hand and hold it up. Keep it held high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we are handing out. It's our gift to you so that you can learn and and grow in the knowledge of God's word. Romans chapter 8. Um, just a little note, uh, side note, on the, the, the Super Bowl Sunday, we're having no evening services. So if you guys could try your hardest to go to the 9 o'clock service, that would be really helpful for us. Uh, one, because it would help with childcare. So definitely if you have children, and then also space within this room, because we want everyone to be here and be able to fit comfortably. So if you can wake up a little bit earlier and go to the 9 o'clock service, that would be great for all of us. And uh, we'll try to get everybody else to do the same. Hopefully we'll have a bigger 9 o'clock than 1045. Romans chapter 8. Last week, just in case you weren't here, we looked at Romans 8 verse 1, and that there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that when you are in Christ Jesus, by faith in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for your sin, because Christ has already paid it all. That the shame that we all have at some point, Christ has covered us in his righteousness. The guilt that we have, Christ has already covered that guilt, that we are free in Christ Jesus. And so now what Paul begins to do for the rest of chapter 8 is begin to talk about this life and work of the Spirit in those who are in Christ Jesus. And what the life looks like for those of us who are in Christ Jesus with the Spirit empowering us. And so there's three things that I believe that Paul gives us on what it means and what it looks like to walk in the Spirit this morning. Um, the first is that the Spirit gives us our new position. It reminds us of who we are in Christ, our new position. The second is that the Spirit gives us a new inspiration. And so there's a spiritual inspiration, and that is the empowerment of the Spirit as we walk and live out a life for Christ. And then lastly is the Spirit, we have new spiritual practices. The things that we do to reinforce the truth of God's love in our life. And so that's a spiritual position, spiritual um, inspiration as well as spiritual practices. So Romans chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus... From the law of sin and death. One of the things that bothers me, and I'm sure bothers you all as well, is if you find yourself driving down the street and there's some car that's stopped in front of you, the lights are green and they're not going, and then you look, kind of look in their car and you can see them looking down and they're probably texting or something, right? And you pull aside of them and you don't just pass by. What you do is you look at them so they know <laughs> I was behind you, <laughs> right? 
And, and you know yourself, you, you probably text and drive as well. You probably voice text, you get Siri to do it, whatever it may be. And so I actually started looking at how many car accidents do we have because of texting. And in the research that I found in 2011, there was 23% of car collisions in our country was because of text and driving. 23%. You may say, well, that's not that much. 1.3 million car accidents because someone's texting and driving. They say the average person who looks down to text takes their eyes off the road for about five seconds. And those quick five seconds of taking your eyes off the road can cause an accident. and Everything can just blow up in front of you. Now, Jesus talks about this spiritually in Luke chapter 9, verses 62. And what he says is, any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And now, what Jesus is doing, as Jesus often does, he speaks in agrarian language. And he said, a farmer would know that if, if, he, if he puts his hand to the plow, he has to look forward and what's in front of him to do what he's been called to do. Now, if he looks to the right or to the left or looks back, he's going to veer to one side or the other. And Jesus is saying spiritually, anyone who doesn't have their minds and hearts and eyes fixed upon him and what he's done on their behalf, they're not fit for the kingdom. Now, in the context where Jesus is speaking, he's talking about discipleship. And how we, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, are called to be kingdom disciples, having our minds and our affections fixed upon him and his kingdom. Now, now what happens is when we hear about following Jesus, what we think is um, on one side we veer because we think that it's moralism. We think in our own efforts what we could do is take imperatives of scripture and begin to do those things and measure our standing before God and before others by the particular things that we do. And, then, and if that is the truth and we do that, then we lean towards moralism or legalism. Sadly, many people think that's what Christianity is about. That Christianity is a list of rules that we have to do in order for God to love us. A list of rules that we have to do in order to enter into and remain in his kingdom. Um, on the other side, we veer to a side that says, no, no one's perfect. There's no way you can do everything Jesus calls you to do. There's no way you can live like Jesus. And so you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. And there's this kind of this permissiveness tone. Like it really doesn't matter. So on one side you have moralism and legalism. And on the other side you have permissiveness or licentiousness, do whatever you want to do. But the Bible, and particularly here in Romans 8, Paul gives us neither. He says to follow Jesus to be a kingdom disciple, what we need to do is walk by the Spirit. That the Spirit of Christ is in us. Every single person that trusts in Jesus has the Spirit of God in them. Now, sometimes when we hear walk by the Spirit, we have an understanding, many of us, of what that looks like. Or we have an idea of someone who's walking in the Spirit. And if you know people that you would say, oh, man, they walk in the Spirit. Uh, you, sometimes those people usually come with like a different voice sometimes which I've never, I've never gotten that, right? You could be watching the football game with them, and it's like, yeah, that's really good. I love this team. The other day I was praying in the spirit. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I had to practice that, right? And so, or, or what happens is we, we think it's more mystical than what it really is. And what you're going to see is walking in the spirit is not as mystical as you think it is. But on the flip side, that does have far more power than some of you have concluded. And the power is because it comes from Christ. And it comes from the gospel. We see this position. We see this inspiration that the spirit gives us. And also the spiritual practices in which we have that reinforce these truths. So, so the first thing here is a spiritual position. In verse 2 he says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
if you can recall last week, no condemnation. And he says, here's why. For the law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, we got to understand some words here. Is Paul, when he talks about the law of the Spirit, he's not talking about the Mosaic law, which he talked for the most part of Romans about. That word law there means principle or power, meaning there's two kingdoms at work currently, simultaneously now. That is the kingdom of darkness where sin and death reign. And there's the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus where the Spirit is empowering people. He says, before you knew Christ, before you trusted in him, that we were by nature and by choice under that kingdom. Paul elsewhere in Colossians chapter 2 says, what Christ has done is he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. Literally rescued us by his grace and favor upon us and put us down to this new kingdom of his beloved son. Paul is saying, you've been freed from that. Where there was sin and where there was death, now there's freedom and there's life in the spirit. It doesn't mean that a Christian won't sin. It doesn't mean that a Christian won't struggle perpetually. No, no, what it's saying is you no longer under the domain and reign and rule of sin and death in your life. That it doesn't have authority. What has authority over you now is God, primarily empowering you by the Holy Spirit. That's a position you have. Um, The theological term here is saying that there has been now an imputation of Christ's life to yours. Let me, let me try to explain what this means uh, in three ways. First, um, if some of you guys can come be familiar with this, if you've rented a place or apartment or even bought a home, uh, especially those of you who are in college or can remember your college days, is that you go to a place and you want to lease it or rent it. And there's kind of three ways you go. First you go, I would call this universalism, is that you go to someone's house. Let's just take it. When I was in college, it was me and my friends, we wanted to, to lease this house. And this house was, was amazing. It was baller which is another word for saying really nice house, right? So we get there, and we talk to the lady, and she goes, oh, is this much money for rent? We're like, we can afford it. She goes, okay, I'm going to have to run your credit checks. We looked at each other like, "Uh uh-oh, right? And so she runs our credit, comes back, and was like, "Uh uh-uh, you guys are not getting in. And so we tried to pull the race card like, oh, why? Is it because we're black? She goes, no, color does matter, and you don't have the particular color that I'm looking for. It's green, right? And so it's like, (laughs) you're not getting it. And we thought, oh, can we just get in off our names or something? And she's like, no way. That would be universalism. And that's a teaching that God just welcomes people into his family, ultimately into the kingdom of God, just because. No, no matter what. You don't have to trust in them. You don't have to believe in them. That's just universalism. Okay, that's, that's off the table. It's not biblical. The second one is what many Christians hold, and, and that is what I would call depravity. Is that we show up, me and my friends, and we go to the lady. We say, we like your house. It's pretty amazing. And she says, okay, I'm going to run your credit. And she comes back and goes, uh-uh. However, here's what you can do. If you can find one of your parents to co-sign on this, then it'd be okay. If your parents' credit is good, then they will make it. Then all of us look at each other like one of our parents has credit to be able to do this, right? Call your dad. Let's get it, let's get it going. Okay, what people look at this way when it comes to our position is that depravity says that, yeah, you're a sinner, but there's still something in you that would reach out for a holy God. And then reaching out to him, you get on the phone, you pray a prayer, you call him. He comes in and says, hey, I will put my name as well as this person's name. And so there's kind of like cooperation that's happening here. Um, you pay the bills, you do this, but it's in both of your names. Um, I believe, and many Christians hold that. We believe what the Bible teaches is a third option. That's total depravity. We show up. The lady runs our credit. She didn't even come back to us. <laughs> She's like, I'm not going to waste my time. God intervenes this way, not because of us, but in spite of us, because of his great love for us. He comes in and he buys the house. 
He buys the house, purchases it, and says, you live in it. It's my house. It's yours to have full access in it because I am your father. And he does this because of his love and his grace. And so now we, as idiot college kids, now get to live in this house and pretend like it's ours, right? Your friends come over. Yeah, yeah, this is me. Yeah. You like it? (laughs) Right? You like it? No. We know everything we have, it comes from him. And so spiritually, he has, he's the one who had credit. We had bad credit. We had insufficient funds. He comes in and says, I will remove your bad credit and I will give you my credit. Therefore, you can live as if this was all yours. That's what Paul is talking about here. The spirit of life has set you free. Imputation just means to be accredited or to be counted. We, insufficient funds. Christ, sufficient, rich. And so the position that the believer has because of Christ Jesus is that they are always and constantly standing before the presence of God with a record that says righteous, with a record that says clean, and now we have full access into who God is and what God has done because of Christ Jesus. And the Spirit is the one who applies the life of Christ to our lives so we are free. And so the first thing Paul says here is when it comes to walking by the Spirit, and keeping your hands on the plow, you have to understand your position. What's interesting about this is your status has changed. Your nature did not change. Meaning your status is that you were before the Lord holy. That Jesus becomes your holiness. That Jesus becomes your righteousness. He becomes your justification as well as your sanctification. In essence, you were good to go before God because of Christ. But it didn't change your nature. It, it, it didn't change the way in, um, that you were still a sinner and that we still fall short. And so when it comes to living a righteous life, how do we get that empowerment? How does the Spirit aid us in living that life? And so the first point was spiritual position, and the second one is the spiritual inspiration. Read with me in verse 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I use the word inspiration there because if you look up the word to inspire, the second definition on Webster, um, on the internet, um, says that it is to place into someone the ability to do something. Meaning, we look at the life of Jesus as Christians and we go, that is the example. And we stop there. Jesus is a great and the perfect example. But when we stop there, we put ourselves in great danger. Because the way discipleship flows from there is we say, okay, the way you put your hand at the plow, the way you walk by the Spirit is you look at the life of Christ and and do what he does. But we don't understand how the the power. Has anybody ever showed you how to do something and you try to do it and you can't do it? Have you ever had that? You ever go on YouTube? The first time I learned how to tie a tie was on YouTube. And this guy was in there, first one, you do you take your tie above your waist. And I'm getting ready to do my first wedding. And I was like, I don't know how to tie a tie. I'm blaming my dad. I'm just mad, right? And I, I can't do what this guy does. Or, or it reminds me, in college, in college you take these um, class called electives. And usually you take a class that's fun. Uh, you can meet a girl that's fun. You probably meet a girl. And so I took a class, a dance class, ballroom and salsa dance. And I'm thinking, only girls are going to be in this class. <laughs> wrong. Every other dude at ASU was thinking the same thing I was thinking, right? There was like 20 dudes and five girls in this class. Our instructor, though, was amazing. So be ever, before there was ever this, the dancing with the stars, this dude was it. Like, he'd just come in so smooth and he'd walk in and his, his feet would tap the, the wood floor. Those of you guys who've danced before, you guys know what I'm talking about. He comes in, 
It's like, wow, this guy's going to do something amazing. He goes, guys, what we're going to do today is shirt tucked in, waist this little. And he would make a move, right? And he'd go, pa da 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 pow. Now, you guys try it. And we're like, clack, clack, bam, right? It's like, <laughs> we can't do this. Like, wait a minute. And I thought, I thought I can dance. Like, I was dancing to what was going, what was hot at that time. But this wasn't it. And I was like, this dude can dance. He's like, Ricardo, just loosen up. You're too stiff. And I'm like, uh, uh, I can't, like, I can't do that. He goes, no, 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 it's like this. He would be perfect and I couldn't do it. And then he does this to me. He goes, come here, grab, take my hand. And I said, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and literally, he just goes, come on. He grabs my back, takes me, grabs my hand, and then starts dancing with me. Try this, try this, do this, do this. And I'm like, oh, I like this, but, no, but not really. <laughs> and he taught me. He taught me, right? Now, I just absolutely outed myself right now, so this illustration better land on you guys, right? <laughs> if Christ is only example, as an example, and, and it's up to us, that's terrible news. What the Bible teaches us and what Paul is saying is he's not only a good example, he's a redeemer. Meaning he gives us his life to be formed in us. And the way that Christ applies our life is he doesn't just take us and move us around like we're Geppetto, we're Pinocchio and he's Geppetto. He, he gives us the spirit. And the spirit of Christ is in every single one of you who are in Christ Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for six months or 60 years, the spirit is in you. The spirit is forming the life of Christ in you. The Spirit, it gives us the ability and the desire to look like Christ, to obey like Christ, to have our affections raised towards Christ, to live in the power and presence of his kingdom. And so when God says, look like Christ and be holy as I'm holy, it's because he's given us his holiness to be worked out in our life. Here's how Paul says it. He says in verse 3 that he sent Jesus and the likeness. God sent, God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Here's what he's saying. Nothing was wrong with the law. The law was perfect. It was good. He's talking about the Mosaic law now. The issue was us. We couldn't live up to it. And there were a group of people in the New Testament called the Pharisees who thought they could. And the Apostle Paul said uh, he was a Pharisee of all Pharisee. You can read it in Philippians chapter 3. He goes, I tried everything. I was the best at the best at trying to live up to the law, and yet I counted all rubbish because now I know Jesus. Um, our flesh could not do exactly what God had called us to do. And so God did what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And the way he did it was he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Sin, Jesus was in the likeness of flesh, meaning he was fully man, under sin, under the power of sin. Meaning he felt temptations like we feel temptations. But he was also fully God. Unlike us, he didn't give in to sin. He was impeccable. And so now he could be for us the great high priest. When it says that he condemned sin, it's talking about a sin offering. There's an allusion here to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a high priest who would represent God to the people. And he would go into the holy of the holies and he would bring blood as a sacrifice offering for the sins of the people. And then blood for his sin and he would go before the presence of God. Where Jesus is, is the true and better high priest, goes into the truest holy of holies and to the, the, the rankings of heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he doesn't know, has no need to bring blood for himself, but then offers his own blood for us. So we're saying this, this substitute that is Christ. 
And so now this record has been fulfilled. It's been applied to you. That was imputation in your position. But now there is an inspiring of the Holy Spirit of the life of Christ. Here's what he says in verse 4. He did this in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's saying this righteous requirement, not just our record, but now internalizing the life of Christ in us. Meaning to put your hand to the plow and to walk by the Spirit is to understand your position, what Christ has done for you. But it is also to understand that the Spirit of Christ is in you. And the Spirit of Christ is forming the life of Christ in you. That your desires begin to match the desires of Jesus. And so we walk in holiness and strive towards holiness with a strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not just the strength from within in ourselves. It's the strength that came from without that God gave us within ourselves as a people, as the church. That we have the presence and working of the Holy Spirit. That it might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says it's going to be fulfilled as you walk. As you walk according to the Spirit. Now, this, that, that phrase there, that might be fulfilled, that's a passive verb. Meaning something is happening to you to do. Meaning the confidence is Jesus is the one that is fulfilling this. That, that just takes the weight off. Is that Jesus himself says, be holy for I am holy and I'm going to be holy within you by my spirit. Not only do we see the grace of God that draws us before the Lord and imputation and justification, all of these fancy words that were right before God, but we also to continue to see his, his ongoing grace, his sustaining grace, um, his grace that he gives us by the Holy Spirit. And so to walk with the Spirit is to trust in what God has done in Christ and that the Spirit is at work in us that we can continue to walk, taking a step after step in Christ Jesus in obedience to follow him in the life that he's given us. The good news is, though he's painted this picture in Christ Jesus, how life should look like as an example, but he's also given us in Christ Jesus through his death and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and him giving us the Holy Spirit, the ability to live that life. And so we rest not in ourselves, but we rest in the finished work of Christ applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit is what Paul is saying here. That is our inspiration. And so, so the first thing we see is a position That's ours in Christ. It cannot be changed. It's something he did in spite of us. We get to live in the house. We get to throw the parties, uh, Christian parties, and and God's house that he bought for us. And and the second part is he is, he's better than my dance instructor. He doesn't just grab us up and say, look into my eyes, look into my eyes, right? He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit and begins to form this life in us. Now, the question that you should have that I had is going, okay, is, is it God's grace or is it me? Like when it comes to me growing in holiness, is it something that God does or is it something I do? Here's the answer. Yes. All right. God does something, but doesn't mean that you don't do anything. There, there's there's uh, sides of this, right? There's one side that overemphasizes what you have to do, and it loads you with guilt. And we've talked about this. It either produces the superiority superiority. superiority Y'all know what I mean. And then inferiority. You think you're better, you think you're worse, right? And those of us who think that we're living up to it and we're doing all the right things and we're obeying, which is a godly thing that we ought to do, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, we sometimes begin to think of ourselves as better than others. 
And then when we're not living up to it, or we have seasons and moments that we are broken, and God reveals our, broken to us, our brokenness to us more than he's ever, ever had. There are certain particular sins that we just can't kick. We're in those moments, and now we feel that we are less than because the, the, the weight of it is completely on your ability, and you can't get out of it, and you're hearing, try harder, try harder. That's not what he's saying here. Or on the flip side, people say they over-spiritualize everything. To walk by the Spirit is so subjective. You just Sometimes the Spirit says, put your right hand in the air and then wiggle it around and put your left. I mean, like sometimes the Spirit does that, right? And it's this very subjective, like, I don't, I've never seen that in the Scripture before, but it's a nice dance, right? What Paul is saying here is, no, no, no. God's grace is always at work to, to start the relationship. That's the position part. But it's also God's grace by the Holy Spirit that enables you, empowers you, and also um, inspires you to continue to live that life. And so obedience does flow from that. You say, well, well, how do I grow in that area? How do I walk in the spirit as a kingdom disciple? How do I put my hands to the plow and keep my eyes on Christ? Well, Paul gives us a few things here when it comes to our spiritual practices, position, inspiration, and now our spiritual practices. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. It says, For to set the mind on the, to set the, mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, if you're a person who underlines the Bible or writes in it, this would be really helpful for you. Verse 6 says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Here's the part. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Um, verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Um, I'm going to back up here. Verse 5. That's the part I wanted you to highlight. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Highlight set your mind on the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit. First, let's talk about what does it mean to set your mind on something. To set your mind does not necessarily mean only cognitive things. It doesn't mean just know more about Jesus. It doesn't mean just study more scripture and then you'll be it. It doesn't mean just know good theology and doctrine and then you'll be okay. In fact, many of us do that. We have a lot of stuff in our head, but it hasn't filtered into our hearts and thus changed our lives and the way that we act and the way we lived. But the way that it means, what it means to set your mind on something is to be absolutely captivated in awe preoccupied with, to set your attention um, fully and wholly, your affections on something. That you can't help but think about these things. That your discipline in your life is to put you towards these particular things, whatever these things are. Now, what Paul is saying is set your mind, meaning give yourself fully and wholly to the things of the Spirit. And if we're going to give ourselves to the things of the Spirit, we got to go, what are the things of the Spirit? In, in short, the Spirit does this. The Spirit is the one who regenerates our hearts. That's Titus chapter 3. In other words, opens up our eyes to be able to see the life and love of Jesus. The Spirit convicts us of sin and of holiness and of righteousness so that we look more like Jesus. The Spirit gives the body of, of Christ, the church, spiritual gifts in order that we may be serving each other and this world like Jesus. The, the, the Spirit gives us gifts in the order to pray for people like Jesus. The Spirit is constantly pointing to Jesus. The Spirit is the one who is growing the church so that we may look more like Jesus. So the Spirit loves Christ. The Spirit points to Jesus. And, and particularly here in Romans 8, the things of the Spirit, if you, if you look at verses, start with me in verses 15, what the Spirit begins to do. The things of the Spirit says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What it's saying is the Spirit reminds us that we are welcomed and that we are adopted and loved in the family of God. But it says the Spirit is the one who in our darkest, weakest moments says, you are beloved. And those moments that you have issues and those moments where God is beginning to reveal maybe even more brokenness in your own life that you see as your fault, the Spirit himself is saying, you are still a part of God's family. Your position has never changed. So we're welcome, we're loved, we're part of the family. The next thing here in Romans 8 that he says here in verses 26 and 27, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows, the hearts knows what, is it, what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to to the will of God, and so he, knows, he helps us in our weakness. He prays for us. Think about that. The Spirit is praying for us, and the Spirit's prayers are perfect because he prays according to the will of God. It says the Spirit who knows the mind of, of the Father also knows us, knows what we need, and prays for us. You ever, you ever get something and God bless you with something that you didn't even pray for? And you're like, wow, I didn't even ask for this. The Spirit is praying for us. So, so we have essentially to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is to understand God's love. Um, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is to understand that you are adopted into his family. And in your moments of weakness, he aids you and helps you in prayer. And that you were accepted. And, and, and the way that we grow, when I say spiritual practices, those are things that are promised to us. Those are things that are given to us. Those are things in which we receive. Those are all things we receive passively. The reason why we work and the reason why we strive is not a striving to earn anything. Listen, we don't work for God's grace. We have it, we receive it. And once we receive God's grace in Christ Jesus, we do work extremely hard from that grace. Another way to say it is, we don't work for his approval, we work from his approval. And we understand because our status has changed but our nature has not changed, there are things that we need to do to put in practice to remind us of this love that we have. And so when Paul is saying, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, he's saying, do whatever it takes that raises your affections for him, that reminds you of who you are and what you have and what he's promised and who he is and what he's doing in your life and the world around you. And so are these disciplines? Absolutely they're, they're disciplines. Are these things that we need to do? Absolutely they're things you need to do. I mean, you think about people who, who set their minds on things, right? If you talk to an entrepreneur, he's going to tell you what he's always thinking about. I'm always thinking about the next business. I'm going to start this next thing. I'm going to, I'm going to get this started. If you talk to a teacher, they're going to tell you about the next lesson plan and how they're going to think of creative ways to instruct and teach their students. If you talk to anybody uh, that's in medicine, they're saying we're constantly practicing. That's why it's called practice and we're learning and I'm listening to podcasts and I'm reading more articles and journals and I'm furthering my education so I can get better at it. In fact, if you, if you, if you ask them, those who are successful in what they do, Entrepreneur will tell you, I've failed so many times. Like, you don't understand. I've tried a bunch of things, but I just keep going. I just keep going. I practice it. I love it. I'm in love with it. I'm even in love with the process of it. You talk to a teacher, it's the same thing. I'm taking more classes. I'm learning. I'm reading. I'm seeing what's happening in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, in order that I can care for these students that I have. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a guy who does surgery for athletes in the Valley, and I'd had three surgeries on my left shoulder and didn't want to get this, my right one done. And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, about 10 years ago, I was supposed to get this surgery, and I never got it. And I told him what the injury was. He goes, oh, man, 
we don't even do those surgeries anymore. We found in our studies that, that like, you don't need to get that fixed anymore. And I thought, so what you're saying is, because of my gift of procrastination, <laughs> right? <laughs> but what he, he said, we keep learning. Things we used to do, don't we, we're learning, so we perfect, we're perfecting this. Some of you have read Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Outliers, where he talks about the 10,000-hour rule. Like, basically, uh, the story of success is that people who are good at things, they spend at least 10,000 hours. Well, he's drawn from a research that happened 40 years previous to that um, from people studying chess players and saying that you can't be a master or a grandmaster unless you expend at least 10,000 to, to 50,000 hours. They said not even Bobby Fischer. I'm like, whoa, all right, maybe, right? Not even Bobby Fischer can do that. You have to practice. And I wonder um, if the reason why we as Christians oftentimes have a lack of zeal for God, why is it that we find ourselves taking our hands off the plow, looking to different things, whether it be for five seconds or ten seconds or a year or months? Why, why is it that we have a lack of zeal for just loving God? Not just for what he can do for us, but just him and who he is, walking in the spirit. Maybe it is due to the fact that we don't practice what we're affectionate on. Maybe it could be that the craft in which we've been given, that is obedience to live a life after Christ, we love the thought of it, but we are not intent on it. It's not something that wows us. It's not something that we are awed by. And primarily when it comes to God's word, the way we ought to approach it is we are to love it, we are to learn it, we are to live it, and we are to share it. And maybe what we do is three out of the four, right? Like we'll learn it. We'll love it maybe. We'll love God's word. We'll learn it, you know, get some things to, to, to know. And then maybe we'll share it with some people. But to live it is to obey it is to, in response to his life and love, see what the Bible says and how we as a people, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, are to live. Maybe it's because we don't practice it enough. I think those four things, the way you approach the Bible, by the way, uh, is also good the way you approach marriage. You love someone. You learn that person. You, you begin to live for that person. And then you begin to understand and share with the people around you how you love that person when it comes to God. It is a discipline. It really is. But those of you who, have, who, who are good at things and those of you who love things, you know everything you do that you love is a discipline. And if we love God, it's only because he first loved us. The Spirit himself reminds us of our position. The Spirit himself gives us the inspiration. It's forming the life of Christ in us. Paul is saying set your mind on the things of, of the Spirit, meaning what are those practices? That means getting on our knees and praying. That is opening up God's word daily. That is Spending the time in our metaphorical woodshed somewhere practicing Christianity, that the world around us would be able to see him. Maybe it could be, maybe, that if we collectively as a church begin to practice these things out loud, that people who do not yet know Jesus would begin to know him. That marriages that are crumbling would begin to be mended. That we begin to care for the least of these more than we have. We begin to care for the lost. We begin to care for things and people that are broken. We begin to actually look like Jesus. We begin to look like the spirit of Christ that is forming Christ in us as a community that comes down first and foremost with us remembering his love. The motivation is not what we do. The motivation is his love. We do because he loves. And that cycle goes back and forth, back and forth. And here's what Paul says here. In verse 6, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You practice who he is, reminding yourself of who he is, that you are welcome, that you are accepted, that you are loved, that you are in his family. He says there's life and peace and in the midst of turmoil. This is not 
absent of, of, of issues. It's not absent of conflict. It's not absent of death. It's not absent of accidents. It's not absent of any of that. It's just the fullness of his presence that you can sense that is with you by the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul closes this section here in verse 8, or verse 7 and 8. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Let me deal with this for a second. He's saying the, the mind of the flesh. He's not saying that a Christian has both the mind of the spirit and the mind of the flesh. He's saying these are two different realms. Um, the flesh is life apart from Christ. It's a worldview that seeks to live your life completely void of Jesus. Not that he doesn't love you, but that you don't love him. And what he's saying is this, that there is, it's impossible for you to live for God without you trusting in Jesus. And that's not saying that a Christian won't, won't do things that are inconsistent with he or say they believe. In fact, some of you are here now and you're not Christian and you're saying, my behavior looks better than my Christian friend who invited me. That could be true. And you're probably going, see, I told you, right? <laughs> what, what, he's, what he's saying is that there's no way that you can have this life, this position, this inspiration, that you can have a part to be completely loved and accepted and in his family for all eternity, that the Spirit prayed on your behalf if you have rejected Christ. He says, it is impossible for you to please God, as he says in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But the inverse of that is if you do trust in Christ, if you do rest in him, if you do believe that he is the one who lived and died for you, if you do believe that, then it is possible, I would say even inevitable, by the Spirit over time that you will begin to please God. And the way that we please God is by obeying him. And the reason why we obey him is because he loves us. And the reason why he loves us, as Deuteronomy says, is he loves us because he loves us. Like he just does. And when you see that in Christ Jesus, it begins to melt your heart. And so what we do is we go, I totally want to keep my hand to the plow. I totally want to walk by the Spirit. I totally want to resemble Christ. I totally want the Spirit to be at work in my life and everyone else around me because I have received something that is that good. And so if my obedience can please God and I can say thank you with my life and the way that I live for him, I'm totally going to do it because he loves me that much. Amen? We're, we're, we're going to sing. Um, I'm going to close with this. No, I'm not going to close with this, but I'm gonna thought, I thought about it. We're, we're gonna, I'm not going to sing. I'm going to read these words here. <laughs> Clearly, Blakeman is much taller than I. Listen to these lyrics, and we're going to sing this. It says, he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and glory, when all of a sudden I'm aware of, of all these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. You will walk by the Spirit, and you will keep your hand to the plow to the degree that you see how great his love and affections are for you. Not by what you do. To earn that, but by seeing that, everything we do is to remind us of that truth because that's grace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the life of your son Jesus, Lord, that you've painted this beautiful picture of what life looks like to be truly human, live before the face of God. And God, we confess that it is our natural tendency to try to do that and our own efforts, or to just avoid it altogether. And so walking by the Spirit, which is neither us trying to earn you or just walking away from you, Lord, is hard for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you give us a deeper understanding of your Son Christ by the Spirit and the position that we have before you is righteous. 
And Lord, we would understand that your spirit is also forming and filling out that righteousness in our life. Lord, the parts that are left uncolored, that your spirit is doing that in our life, and you are bringing life and color to our life by, by forming the work of Christ in us. And Father, we pray that in response to your good news, in response to the life and love of your son Christ, that we would work hard at putting ourselves up that the wind of the spirit would guide us into the places and the people and the purposes of which you attended. That your, water would wa- your word would wash over us like water. That Jesus, we would come to you continuously. That your spirit would fill us and anoint us in all that we do, Lord. That we would do everything we do to the praise of your glory and grace. God, I pray that you would rid us of guilt, you would rid us of shame, that we would see how much you love us and what you've done for us and the joy and the beauty that we have in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your love. And it's in your blessed name that we pray. Amen. I want to give you all just a moment to sit and to... Take a time to maybe confess sin that you have of not trusting in God and his spirit or just a moment of just gratitude to just thank God for just the weight that he lifts off of us and that he himself is our example and our redeemer. Whatever it is that the spirit is communicating to you that you would take this moment and listen and respond to it as God would have you. In just a moment, one of the guys will come and lead us in a time of response.